And as you all know, I cannot speak in 15 minutes. So let's see what happens to this abridged version of chapter 2, which now needs to become an abridged, abridged version. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much that we can be here and hear your voice. Thank you, Lord, that we've had the privilege and honour to have people use their gifts, talents and abilities in our worship team to lead us to that place where we can praise your name. And Father, now we want to hear from you from your word. Will you allow us to have open hearts and minds to what you have to say? And allow us, Lord, to take something from this that we can apply to our lives and change us to be closer to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I had a whole heap of things. Can I just have my slides up the back too, please? I I had a whole heap of things I wanted to talk about, but I think it's adequate to say that um, we're going to have fun with this too. This is good. All right, let's go back. So I think it's very important to think about how uh, chapter 1 finished and chapter 1 actually said, and God saw, this is on the sixth day, God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. And, and I think this is exciting because there was nothing at fault, there's nothing God needed to change and he took this day that we're about to explore and, 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 and he made it a holy day and that's the first point that I want to talk about now, God made the seventh day holy and I think um, what, what's particularly relevant here is that God had those six days of creation and and I don't know about you but I've always been told that God didn't do anything on the seventh day if that's the case who created the seventh day but let's not go there but um, the thing is it it doesn't actually say that God um, God actually didn't create or anything like that the word that is here um, when we look at this is uh, in Genesis 2 1 and 2 thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them and on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done and he rested on the seventh day um, from all his work that he had done when I said rested there you know as I was growing up I like well why does God need to rest this is the all-powerful almighty God why does he need to rest and no one ever really explained it to me the fact is this is something that is actually lost in translation as well God did not rest as we know the word should have been translated ceased God ceased from his creation there was nothing more to do it was complete there was nowhere else that he had to um, provide anything but the thing is this God sorry I'm skipping over things this God is continuing to work and we know that because of what's said in John 5 17 Jesus answered them, my father is working until now and I am working. Jesus said this to the Jews who were challenging Jesus about working on the Sabbath, some of the things that he had done in healing and things like that, some of the things that his disciples had done. But the reality is God continues to work. He never ceased from working. Think about who holds this universe together. Is that our God? I hope so. I hope you believe that. Who is it that draws men unto himself? Who is it that gives Holy Spirit? Who is it that provides instruction? These are all things that God continues to do. He is an active, present, loving God. His work continues, but he ceased from creation. Creation was complete. So why did God do that? Why did he rest? And it was this day that God stepped back, if you like, for the lack of a better term, And he viewed all of creation. He saw that it was not just good, it was very good. And he wanted to enjoy that creation with the pinnacle of his creation, mankind. We know that God walked in the garden with them. And he just wanted to share all that was there with him. And he created this day, this special day, to be holy. It's the only part of creation, really, 
that God blesses as being holy. And so God's pleasure in all of his creation extended to Adam and Eve. And he's standing with them in the midst of his creation, seeing how everything ties together, how everything is in harmony. And this is paradise. And that's what we lost at the fall. But praise God, we're going to experience it. And that's the thing that I'm really excited about. Revelations 2 tells us, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, to the one who conquers. I will grant the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. We're all destined for that. Is that absolutely awesome? Amen. If we believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour, we will be in them. But there's also something that needs to be commented on as far as this blessing is concerned. This is unique. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all of his work that he had done in creation. God blesses this day. And this is the third time that blessing is mentioned in scripture. God blesses the living creatures, but he blesses them to be fruitful and multiply. He blesses Adam and Eve. And what does he say to them? Be fruitful and multiply. And then he blesses creation. What is it about creation that God wants to, wants to happen? What is the blessing that he pours about out upon it? And he doesn't only bless it, he actually makes it holy. And it's the first thing to be hallowed in scripture. Nothing else has been made holy at this stage. And when we pray that prayer, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. We're saying, Lord, your name is safe on my lips. I'm going to elevate your name to a point where I'm going to say it in a way that I say no other name. I'm never going to bring shame to your name. It's also about how we live. We should be saying in Jesus' name, in everything that we do, if we are living for the Lord. And so when this day is set apart and made holy, it has particular significance. Do our actions on the day that we celebrate as holy indicate that we believe it is a holy day? Do we do things which bring honour and glory to God on that day? Or if we fall into the trap where it says, well, God said we should rest, so I'm just going to rest. I'm going to think about myself. I'm going to do what I want to do. This day is holy unto the Lord. It's set apart by God for God. It's for us to reflect on him. It's for us to reflect on his creation. It's for us to reflect on who we are in God and the incredible thing that he has created even in our body. It's a day God has made holy for himself and for mankind. And it's a day that is called to be fruitful. Fruitful in what aspect? It's a day where if we give God his rightful place, We will enjoy his power, his presence, his enrichment, his encouragement, his strength, his restoration. It's the day that sets us up for the rest of the week. It's the day where he can take all our burdens and troubles if we just lay them before him. It's the day where we should come here and encourage and empower and equip each other for the week that is to come. It's the day where we should come here and just be celebrating all the incredible things that God has done. It's a day to remember God. That's it. He's an incredible God. He created us for relationship with him. And I'm not sure if any of you are aware, but as we come into chapter 2 of Genesis, the name that is used for God changes. Is anyone aware of that? So in Genesis 1... The name that is used for God is Elohim. 
The basic meaning of Elohim is this all-powerful one, and that is very relevant in, in the God that created the universe. And it is his power that is being used in the midst of that. But when we come um, to Genesis 2, 4, it says, These are the generations of the heaven and the earth, and they were created in the day of the Lord. Sorry, the day the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. And where it says the Lord God in this, that name has been changed. It is now Yahweh is the name that is being used. Pretty unusual that those two names would change there, wouldn't you think? But the name Yahweh, that is the name, uh, you know, that is used for God's covenant. It is used for his covenant and personal relationship with humanity. And most of us would have just read straight over the passage and not even noticed that. And that's fine because there's no way you could have actually known. But if we decide to dig a little bit deeper, we see this. And so God's name here is proclaiming how he relates and redeems his people. Is that significant with, about, with what's about to come? You know, this is God getting down into the earth. This is God spending time with his people. This is God wanting that face-to-face with his creation. When God looked upon creation, he said it was very good. And he wanted that relationship with us. He wanted to be with his people. And when that fell away, the rest of the story we have in Scripture is about this God, Yahweh, wanting to redeem mankind to himself. He still yearns and longs for that relationship. And you know what? He is going to restore what we lost. Think about Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Everything that is happening between there and now is about restoration for that day when we will stand in his presence and his glory and have again what was lost. Man was created from the dust, I think. Uh, This is a given, we know that. And I'm not sure if you ever think about your body. Uh, It's one of those things I suppose many of us take for granted. But from conception, uh, in your mother's womb, in that nine months, you develop more than 200 bones in your body. And each of them are designed and shaped perfectly for its individual function. There's over 500 muscles that are actually attached to those bones. And uh, if you have a brain, which some people say I don't, uh, but if you have a brain, there's 10 billion nerve cells uh, connected from that brain to the rest of your body. And that is only a glimpse of what our bodies are like. We are fearfully and wonderfully made and the incredible thing is we're told in Genesis that God formed man out of the dust of the ground and he breathed uh, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man become a living creature and this is an incredible account of the first human it's unique in all of creation this only happened for man sorry ladies God formed men out of the dust of the ground. And, and there's this, there's this um, suggestion there that God was very specific and careful in his design, in what he did, in how he created men. There's this real intimacy that is spoken of in, in these few words. Uh, this is a personal God. He's shaping man to be exactly as he wants man to be. Man is not an afterthought. It's not something that just happened. And as Pastor David said last week, I likewise believe mankind is the pinnacle of God's creation. And that's how this account plays out. God breathed into his nostrils. Think about how would you breathe into someone's nostrils? It's intimate, it's close, it's in your face. I don't know specifically how it happened. Was it a kiss? Did he just blow upon Adam? I don't know. But he was face to face with his creation. That's the way it occurred. And God breathed into Adam and gave him life. That's amazing. And again, it's unique for creation. It only happened with Adam. No other living creature received life like that. 
And so it sets mankind apart. We are made in the image of God. Adam, the man of dust, is in the image of God and God gave him the gift of life by breathing into him. No other living creature is like us. We have personality. We have the ability to rationalise. We have the ability to make moral choices. And we are made for communion with God. And guys, we're particularly blessed because then God did this. How many ladies just cringed? When, when I was brought up in the church, um, I, I was brought up to believe something which simply wasn't true about this suitable helper. It was like, well, she's the weakest sex, she's inferior, she's not as good or as capable as men. Wives, who's got a husband that's squirming? We're going there. We're going there. Genesis 2.18 says this, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. And so that's where this context comes from, where well, you know, she's just helping the man. Nothing special. And the helper spoken of here is translated from a word, Ezra. And there could be a couple of meanings for that word, depending on pronunciation, but there's no way around the basis of what that word means. And so it either means to rescue or save or be strong. It's one of those. Can't be anything else. Suitable helper, weak, inferior. Gets worse, guys. In the Old Testament, Ezar is used twice in Genesis to refer to this woman who later gets called Eve. Then in Isaiah, Ezekiel and Daniel, it's used about the nations that Israel appeal to to help them in war and uh, they decline at that time. Then it's mentioned 16 other times in the Old Testament. Guess who it's talked about? It's talking about God being the rescuer of his people. Weak, inferior, not up to it. If you think that of women, you've got a problem with God because that's what you're saying about God if you take this translation the way it was initially intended in Hebrew. In context, the helper is someone who comes to my aid when I need them. Think of the man flu here, ladies. You know what I'm talking about? But seriously, women have been created differently. It's a given. But they've been created that way, not because they're weaker. It's so that they will complement us. And so, I think Briggs gets it right when he interprets it this way. It is one who is equal to and adequate for man in every way. I believe that to be true. I wouldn't be the man I am if it wasn't for Elena. I wouldn't be a pastor if it wasn't for Elena. So if you want to suck sour grapes about me being a pastor, go see my wife. <laughs> She's stronger than me. Genesis 2.21 says, So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up this place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And these two verses cause all sorts of issues for people. Um, 
to actually work out exactly what's happening. What is totally agreed upon is that um, Adam was caused to fall into a deep sleep and it's a similar sleep to what Abraham had in uh, Genesis 15 when that burning sacrifice occurred and everything like that. God brought that sleep upon Abraham and he, he, he just was totally oblivious. Uh, but then it says God took a rib. There's nowhere else in scripture, in fact, where um, this word translated rib refers to a body part. It just doesn't occur. And so there, there is some Hebrew study books where they have actually found a reference to a rib. But it's not just the rib. It also involves some flesh and muscle and things like that. And I actually like that. I think it's sort of like God just went, you know what, let's make that. And so he's got this part of Adam and uh, it's really interesting because um, when you look at the original syntax, how the um, sentence and everything was structured in the original text, um, the literal translation would be something like this. And the Lord built the rib for the woman when it talks about how he took it from Adam. Uh, and they, they can't explain why it was written this way. It's almost like God knew that he was going to do something with Adam to get this woman, hey? And, and I actually like this. I think this is good. And God formed the man from the dust of the ground. We were not made from it, nothing. And then God built Eve, if you like, from Adam's rib. She was made of the same stuff as Adam. Bone of his bone, flesh of his flesh, same DNA. Eve was the first person created from a living being. And that in itself should be a wake-up call for each and every one of us. Eve was made of the same stuff of Adam. She was not inferior. She's not superior. She's simply different with a role and purpose that complements man and vice versa. Adam's response, to be honest, I think his jaw hit the ground. His eyes fell out of his head. This was everything he'd ever not dreamed of. He was like, wow, this is pretty cool. But we're told he said this. Then the man said, this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She should be called woman because she was taken out of man. These are the first words recorded of any human in scripture. Don't make them the last time our women are complimented, guys. Let's be praising them, elevating them, thanking them for the incredible gift they are to us and how they support us in all that we do. I'm out of time. I just want to ask, in applying this, what is God saying to you? I know it's been very quick. Uh, that's the way time is sometimes. What is God saying to you? Do you take time on Sunday to reflect on who God is and to think of all he has done, his creation, how he wants relationship with you? Do you make that time to set aside for him? And I know we, we, we come here on Sunday. It used to be on Saturday. We celebrate Sunday because this is the day the Lord rose. That's why we come to church on Sunday. But do you set that day, Sunday aside, or another day where you just reflect on who God is? If you haven't, perhaps you need to do some business with God. Ask for his forgiveness. Have you been working on your relationship with God the way you should? Have you been reading his word? Have you been applying that to your life so the word that you get is actually lived out when you interact with others? Where the grace and glory and power that God first gave you, you're actually pouring out into other people. If you're not, again, do you need to do some business with God? Have you elevated women to the position that God obviously does? Have you uphold those who are your wives, your daughters? And if you haven't, do you need to do some business with God and then speak to your wives?
Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much um, for your word. Thank you that it is empowering. Thank you that it speaks to us. And Lord, I trust that there's people you've spoken to this morning. Lord, I ask that you'll continue to challenge us about what is contained in Genesis 2. And that, Father, each of us will go home and reread that chapter and we'll have a desire to know more what it is that you're saying to us through it. Thank you that we have your recorded word. Thank you, Lord, that we can get to know you through that. Please humble us and let us realise we don't know it all. We so desperately need more of you. In Jesus' name, amen.